0: This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's-
1: I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some perspectives. Prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit slash star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk radio 1210, WPHD WPHD HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
3: Listen, 7 months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine.
2: Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
4: Good evening and welcome to Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's April and we're very happy to welcome the arrival of spring. April showers bring May flowers. We're enjoying our new home here on Saturdays at 5 o'clock and welcome new listeners. Our topic this evening, pacemakers. Over 60 years have passed since the first pacemaker for the heart was implanted into a human being. Great strides have been made to the devices themselves and the leads or the wires that carry the signal to the heart to help it pump. Batteries have improved, which has led to smaller pacemakers with greater longevity. Here to update us is a stellar guest, Dr. Bezad Pavri a highly respected cardiologist and cardiac electrophysiologist, which means he's an expert in the treatment of abnormal heart rhythms. Dr. Pavery is an associate professor of medicine from the Sydney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University, and he has won multiple awards for distinguished and outstanding teaching, both at the University of Pennsylvania and at Jefferson. He's also recognized for his extensive research and we offer a heartfelt welcome to Dr. Pavry. Welcome, Bezad.
3: Thank you very much, Marianne, for inviting me to your show. I am thrilled and honored to be here.
4: Well, the pleasure is ours. Now, I've heard you speak at our grand rounds, mesmerized, and I'm fascinated because I'm a GI doctor, so I, I'm not as involved with arrhythmias, but always open to learning. And I've heard you say that a person's heart beats about 100,000 times a day or 35 million times for, take a few uh, plus minus a year. What keeps a person's heart beating in a regular rhythm at a regular rate? Two different things, I guess.
3: Truly a phenomenal performance from an organ, correct? 100,000 times a day, every day of your life. Uh, It's quite awe-inspiring. And uh, the rate is, of of course, different in different mammals. So some mammals have even faster heart rates, some have slower. But nonetheless, this spark of life uh, starts in a group of cells in the top right chamber of your heart. The normal heart has four chambers, two top and two bottom. And the top right chamber is where this spark of life starts in a group of cells called the sinus node. And then the electric impulse travels down through some connections to the bottom chambers, and the bottom chambers follow the top chambers. So this is the scheme by which the heart continues to beat. And the rate of firing from the top chamber is automatically and perfectly adjusted to meet your body's needs so that when you are resting and relaxed, it beats slower. With anger, exertion, or excitement, it speeds up, and it does this all automatically. You don't have to consciously remember to raise your heart rate when you exert, for example. So this is a wonderful evolutionary achievement And it is the same model in virtually every mammal on the planet, simply scaled differently to different body sizes.
4: So if somebody were to ask you the normal resting rate, I'm sure there's a range of what's normal for an adult and maybe something different for children. Could you tell us a little about that?
3: Certainly. Um, So for children, the heart tends to be faster. At birth, it is usually well over 100, 120 beats per minute. But as we enter uh, early childhood, it drops down into the 70s and 80s. And by adulthood, it's usually somewhere between 50 and 80 beats per minute at rest, depending on your level of fitness and other ambient factors, body position, time of day, hydration status, anxiety, etc. cetera, will all influence the resting heart rate. But the usual range for normal heart rate behavior is between about 50 and 85 or 90 beats a minute at most, at rest. Mm-hmm. In general, the slower your resting heart rate, the more fit and conditioned you are. In general, the faster your resting heart rate, the more deconditioned or out of shape you are.
4: But I guess you've made some very interesting points. If somebody's um, physically fit, the heart's made of muscle, so if that muscle is more efficient, it can get away with beating fewer times per minute to do the job, it can pump that blood out maybe at a rate of 40 times a minute as opposed to 60 or 70. Is that the way we should look at it?
3: Um, That may be a reasonable way to look at it. Um, It heavily depends on a nerve in the body called the vagus nerve, which controls the heart rate. And the more fit and athletic you are, the more dominant the vagus nerve is, and it tends to slow the heartbeat. So you're right. The uh, healthy athlete heart, for example, is a very powerful muscular organ that can do perfectly well beating at a relatively slow rate. And many athletes will have resting pulse rates even in the 40s or 50s. And in um, at nighttime during sleep, it may drop into the 30s uh, or sometimes lower in very highly trained athletes. And that is all part of normal heart rate behavior.
4: Yes, many times my own heart rate has gone up because my husband likes to dip into the 30s because he is a, a large oak tree who is very physically fit. Um, so if somebody wants to check their own pulse or heart rate,
3: what's the easiest way to do that? How do you advise somebody to keep track of it? Well, there are many ways in which you can uh, check your pulse rate. One of the simplest ways is to learn to check your own pulse at your wrist or in your at your neck. But some people find it hard to uh, uh, feel that pulse. And then there are other tools that are available. Today, we have lots of wearable technology. We have smart watches that will give you your heart rate very readily. And they are quite accurate. Um, you have uh, you know uh, pulse oximeters that you can put on your finger. Those have become quite common in this day and age of COVID-19. Pulse oximetry is widely used. Uh, you can use a home blood pressure kit because your blood pressure kit also reports your heart rate in addition to your blood pressure. Uh, so there are many ways um, uh, with smartphones and wearable technology or a simple simple pulse check with your own fingers on your wrist beneath your thumb or at the angle of your jaw where your jaw meets the neck, you might be able to feel and count your pulse rate.
4: Mm-hmm. Because when you ask people to put their hand on their heart, many people place their hand on the left side of their chest but it actually we know it sits in the center of the chest between the lungs but the lower tip seems to uh, almost come to the surface of the chest and you can feel it beating and it's probably about the size of two fists would you say in the average adult?
3: Uh, it's about the size of your fist. Your heart is roughly the mm-hmm. size of your fist uh, and you're right it sits more or less central but pointing a little bit to the left. So what does lub dub Uh,
4: manifest? What is that sound that we hear that that's always quoted as lub dub?
3: Yes, so the there are two heart sounds, there's a lub and a dub. And there are four valves in the heart. And the first lub indicates the closure of the valves uh, between the top and the bottom chambers. And the second sound the dub uh, relates to the closure of the valves that lead out of the heart from the right side, it goes into the lungs and from the left side to the rest of your body. And there are two valves that uh, control the outflow as well. So the lub-dub indicates the closure of these uh, four valves, two sets of, uh, two valves each.
4: So when we talk about factors that can influence heart rate, we mentioned a few, but there are so many, and I think if, even if you explained a few, it would turn the light on for our listeners. What are some of the things that can change the heart rate?
3: So most importantly is uh, your really your level of fitness, Uh, and the more fit you are, the less readily your heart rate will accelerate under most circumstances. But of course, things like anxiety, anger, excitement, exertion, dehydration, uh, and sometimes certain medications... Uh, will accelerate your heart rate. We all recognize that a strong cup of coffee will make your heart rate speed up, and that's the effect of caffeine. That is completely benign. It is not harmful. There's a lot of uh, misconception about caffeine causing abnormal heart rhythms, but actually there's not any significant data to tell us that caffeine is harmful to the heart in any way. All it does is it accelerates your normal heart rate to some degree. So yes, there are many factors, Uh, but um, most of them are physiologic factors, and health and conditioning are probably the most important.
4: So it's good for people to recognize, and and other things like the temperature of the air. If it's a hot day, I guess subsequently you might be a little dehydrated if you're perspiring a bit. Pregnancy could change your, your heartbeat, but I always think of people that have a chronically faster heartbeat, as a GI doc, I think of, you know, the, the GI tract is the way to a man's heart. The stomach is the way to a man's heart. I always have to think of GI issues. But if somebody's blood count's a little bit low, they have anemia, their, their heart has, their tank isn't full, so their heart has to beat more times per minute to get the lesser amount of fuel to the brain and heart and all those good things. So we're going to talk when we come back about when a person might talk to their physician if their heart rate um, seems out of the range of normal. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Pavri from Jefferson. Thanks for listening to Your
5: Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor
6: at yourradiodoctor.net. Hi, I'm Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Science Officer at Recovery Centers of America, and I'm here as your addiction expert. People ask me often about harm reduction efforts. What are harm reduction efforts? These are any kind of effort that's made to keep somebody and to keep society safe while somebody is not ready to quit using drugs or alcohol. So it's not something where we say it's okay to keep using or we encourage use, but it is something where we help keep people safe while they're not ready to quit. So one example of this would be needle exchange programs. If somebody's injecting heroin and they do not want to quit, needle exchange programs allow them to bring in used needles and they give them clean needles. This does a lot of things, not just for the person, but society. It decreases the number of dirty needles you see laying outside when you walk outside on your front step. It also keeps the person safe from things like HIV, hepatitis, AIDS, so that there's not the seroconversion to those illnesses that then become a burden on the person and on society. So harm reduction efforts want to keep the person safe. And here's another piece. I've never known a harm reduction place where they don't offer treatment when the person comes in. They say, I know you're here for your needles. You know there's treatment available. I could, I could link you up with this place or that. And then also a lot of harm reduction places, they have access to nurses or physicians where they can get some medical treatment while they're there. So if people are not willing and not ready to quit, let's at least keep society safer and keep them safer until we can show them that quitting is a great idea and they have a life ahead of them without drugs and alcohol. If you or a loved one has a problem with alcohol or drugs, call 1-888-RECOVERY today or go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 seven. That number again is 1-888-RECOVERY.
1: I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement
4: And welcome back to your radio doctor. Our guest this evening is Dr. Bezad Pavri, and we're talking, of course, it's February Heart Month. We're talking about hearts and pacemakers and what keeps our hearts beating at a regular rhythm and regular rate. So, Bezad, we were uh, approaching the idea of checking our own heart rates and being aware, I think more and more people, because there's so much good information out there and hopefully we're a source for that, how do you follow your own rates? How do you know when your rhythm is irregular? And at what point should a a person, not yet a patient, call their physician and say, something's not right?
3: So that's an excellent question, Marianne. The sad truth is that the majority of heart rhythm disturbances don't cause any symptoms. So patients are really not aware that there may be anything abnormal going on with their heart rhythm. I would estimate that more than 90% of human beings are unaware of rhythm disturbances that are occurring. There's about 10% of us that are, I think, the more fortunate ones because they perceive the change in heart rhythm that might occur with abnormal rhythms. They may feel a sense of palpitations or rapid heartbeat or irregular heartbeat or skipping or thumping. And if any of these symptoms occur, then it's certainly reasonable for you to uh, seek medical attention. Probably more important to seek medical attention if those sensations are associated with dizziness, lightheadedness, or fainting or near fainting. Um, In the absence of any alteration in consciousness, uh, occasional skip beat sensation is usually quite benign. It has nothing to worry about. But if it happens very frequently and it's troubling to you, then you should certainly seek medical attention. I also want to point out um, an interesting observation that we have made repeatedly over the years. We have the ability to monitor your heart rate as an outpatient by wearing a monitor called a Holter monitor. And the patient can activate the Holter when they think they feel an abnormal heartbeat or an abnormal heart rhythm. Well, nine times out of 10, when the patient actually activates the abnormal rhythm button saying they felt something, the recording shows nothing. It's normal rhythm at the time. And usually when abnormal heartbeats are actually recorded on the monitor, the patients don't complain of any symptoms whatsoever. So as a species, human beings are very poor at making true correlations between abnormal heart rhythms and symptoms. Nine times out of 10, when they think they feel something abnormal, it's actually nothing going on. And when actual abnormal rhythms are occurring, They don't feel anything at all.
4: So interesting, and I think as you say these things, two things come to mind. Um, As uh, interns and residents would be called to the emergency room to see a patient who had fallen, and depending on the person's age, over a certain age, I would think maybe it wasn't a trip and fall. Maybe this person had syncope or a fainting spell because their heart rhythm was off, you have to look at the whole picture. Yes. So that's something to keep in mind for our listeners. If you have a person in your family who falls and they're maybe a senior citizen or they have heart disease, don't be so sure they tripped over the toy or or the the cord uh, in the room. Perhaps they were starting to pass out and they fell as a result. And the other thing is, are you finding, are your patients saying to you that as you say, maybe they don't detect the symptom or the person explaining, uh, as opposed to a finding, a doctor finds a sign. Are there are, are there patients coming now saying, my smartwatch picked up uh, an abnormal rate of rhythm?
3: Yes. So you raised two very important points. Yes, the smartwatch can sometimes report on an irregular heart rhythm. And very often that may turn out to be a rhythm called atrial fibrillation or AFib. This is very common, especially as we grow older. It increases exponentially with aging, not linearly, but exponentially. Uh, And um, again, it's usually asymptomatic, but the smartwatch might be able to detect it. You also raised an important point previously about an older person fainting. The family member should not assume that it's a trip. Um, One of the clues that it might have been a heart rhythm disturbance is associated injury. Um, Usually, when you trip or you get slightly dizzy or lightheaded, you're able to break your fall by putting out your hands or holding on to something. If you have a head injury, uh, that suggests that you are not able to break your fall, you lost consciousness briefly, and any associated head injury is usually a red flag for a potential heart rhythm disturbance.
4: Exactly. And it worries me because... um, uh Denial can be a good tool if we're dealing with something and you say, Oh, it's not as bad as I think. But for our listeners, if you fall, you may not remember that you were feeling a little dizzy beforehand. So don't brush off a fall as just uh, serendipity. Maybe it's because you need to have your heart rhythm checked. So we talked about some of the symptoms that a patient might look for if their heart is beating too slowly or if they have an irregular heartbeat. What are some of the other symptoms that? patients talk about.
3: Correct. So the most obvious uh, symptom of sudden heart rate slowing would be extreme dizziness, lightheadedness, or fainting. This is the kind of symptom that comes on very abruptly. It's unlikely to last for, you know, five or 10 minutes. This would be brief and intense and then would resolve completely and you'd be back to normal in moments. That kind of abrupt onset, extreme intensity, near fainting, followed by quick, complete recovery smacks of a heart rhythm disturbance until proven otherwise. But there are other rhythm disturbances that result in a gradual slowing of the heartbeat over years. This is a gradual reduction in heart rate that occurs as we grow older in many patients. And it's often made worse by taking medications that control your blood pressure and so on. And this is what we call chronotropic incompetence. That is, the heart loses its ability to increase its heart rate, increase the rate of beating in response to activity exertion or excitement. So patients typically are older and they attribute their slowing down to age. They say, oh, I'm getting slower because I'm getting older. But it could be that they're getting slower because their heart rate is simply not accelerating enough in response to daily activities. So for example, When most of us get up out of a chair, your heart rate goes up by 5 to 10, 15 beats per minute. Climbing up a flight of stairs should drive your heart rate up to about 80 to 90 beats a minute, depending on how fit and conditioned you are. And with more severe exertion, your heart rate should quickly accelerate to meet the increased demand. But with this condition that I'm referring to, the heart rate simply fails to accelerate enough. And so patients start to scale down their activity to match their slowing heart rate but it comes upon them so gradually that they attribute this to aging. And uh, some of these patients get very slow heartbeats, but after they get a pacemaker, they come back and tell me, my gosh, I feel like I did 10 years ago.
4: I have a new life, yes. And you, you explained that. Much more. I'm sorry, but you explained that so clearly, it makes perfect sense. Thank you. And I'm sure people, a lot of people just woke up when you said that and, and decided to pay more attention. So if a person does have a slower heartbeat, we talked about a well-trained athlete and that it suggests that they have a more efficient heart function and, and health overall. What are some of the not-so-friendly causes that it could represent?
3: Um, so we have to distinguish slow heartbeats that occur in young, physically fit, trained athletes from slow heartbeats that occur in your seventh, eighth, or ninth decade of life. Yes, you can be fit and athletic in old age as well. And it is true that if you've been athletic all through your life, then your heart rate may be very slow when you you enter your golden years. Uh, But usually it it is a, a failure of the heart rate to accelerate with exertion. That distinguishes the abnormal behavior from the physiologic slowing of the heart rate that is seen in young, healthy athletes.
4: And there are some reversible causes as well. Tell us about some of those, if you would.
3: So, yes, for example, there, there is a condition called Lyme disease that you get when a uh, tick infected with a certain bacterium bites you and Lyme disease can cause complete electrical block between the top and the bottom chambers, and the heart rate can become very slow. I had a young man who was uh, serving beer at the stadium and came back from a hike on the Appalachian Trail and felt that he was getting very short of breath climbing up and down the stairs in the stadium serving beer, came to the emergency room and his heart rate was in his 30s. Now, because he was 20-something years old, he was not having any more symptoms, but he was in essentially what we call complete heart block. But this is a reversible cause. Treatment with antibiotics restores normal conduction between the top and bottom chambers, and this does not require a pacemaker. Mm
4: -hmm. Or somebody may have, uh, their potassium might be too high, or or their thyroid might be underactive, and that's why we do routine labs. So the function of a pacemaker is to detect that slow heartbeat and say, well, I'm going to pace you to make sure that you're doing your
3: job, yes? So a pacemaker sets a floor, a base rate below which the heart rate is never allowed to drop. So if I program a pacemaker at, say, 60 beats per minute, that patient's heart rate cannot be 59. It has to be 60 at all times or greater. In addition, today's pacemakers have the ability of what is called as rate response, That is, the pacemaker has the ability to detect that a patient is active or exerting, and if their own heart rate is not accelerating sufficiently, the pacemaker has the capability of driving up the heart rate by pacing faster, and then it settles back down to the base rate of 60, for example, when the exertion is over. So today's pacemakers mimic normal heart rate behavior quite nicely.
4: So you mentioned that there are people that have obvious symptoms resulting from a slow heartbeat, but then there are those with more subtle symptoms or they don't have any symptoms. And we're gonna talk when we come back from the break about how we monitor those patients to find out if they need pacemakers. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Bezad Pavri.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
7: Emily Rubin, dietitian from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and the Philadelphia Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics presenting your nutrition tip of the week. Are you one of the 60 to 70 million Americans that is affected by digestive symptoms such as abdominal bloating, pain, nausea, constipation, and diarrhea after eating? I'm seeing more and more patients that are popping some kind of digestive supplement to relieve their symptoms that are basically um, advertised by social media influencers. The digestive supplement industry is growing and growing and is expected to grow to more than $1 billion by 2025. Some people call them life-changing. Others call them snake oil medicine. Do Americans have the most expensive urine? Or are these supplements actually making viable claims? My biggest concern around these supplements is that many people are taking them without asking their physician first. Maybe your friend coworker, co-worker tell you the benefits of these supplements, but there's many, many possible side effects. Also, some of these supplements may interfere with your current medication. None of these digestive supplements are regulated by the US Food and Drug Administration for safety or effectiveness. This means you have no idea what the amount of product, the ingredients are actually in that product. So when you're considering taking digestive supplements, it's best to talk to a dietitian or a physician. So let's talk about a few of the most popular digestive supplements. The first one I have is the standard digestive supplement. That is actually one that contains an animal or plant-based supplement, which could help the body digest fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. They are usually made from natural occurring enzymes that your body already produces. There is no proven scientific studies to evaluate their effectiveness. They could cause the opposite effect, like abdominal pain, gas, diarrhea. Again, need to discuss with your doctor or dietitian if this is something that would help you. Another popular digestive enzyme is the gluten digesting supplements, which are marketed for those who have non-celiac gluten sensitivity or even celiac disease who cannot digest gluten. The supplement claims to contain powerful enzymes that help break down this protein. There is no evidence that these enzymes marketed over-the-counter will break down gluten. Adherence to a 100% gluten-free diet is the only treatment for celiac disease and even the treatment for non-celiac gluten sensitivity. We will continue our talk on different digestive enzymes next week. This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and Philadelphia Academy of Dietetics and Nutrition, presenting your nutrition tip of the week. For more information, you can log on to yourradiodoctor.com and eatright.org.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs, and all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no copays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait, visit ibxmedicare.com/star Every
2: year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a
4: paid endorsement. This is your radio doctor, Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights Campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. Info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened.
5: Scheduled conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now.
0: Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Now Saturday
3: afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
4: And hey, we're back on your radio doctor talking about pacemakers. And I know that you mentioned there are different ways to monitor a person's heartbeat over the course of time. Can you tell us a little bit about that,
3: Basad? Yes. So we have lots of tools available. We have uh, attachable monitors that the patient wears as simple as a patch placed on the chest that can record your heartbeat for anywhere between a day and 30 days. Um, You have the ability to uh, activate the monitor or mark the monitor when you feel symptoms, and that way the doctor can make correlation between symptoms and heart rhythm as we discussed earlier. If we are interested in recording very rare rhythm disturbances that occur very infrequently, uh, we even have an insertable chip that we can place under the skin, right in front of the heart. It doesn't touch the heart. It's outside the ribs, but under the skin. It's about the size of two matchsticks. It's called a loop recorder, and it sits there for three years, and it records every heartbeat, um, and it has, it comes with a bedside monitor and uh, the patient's heart rhythms can be transferred via the bedside monitor every 24 hours, uh, to the monitoring doctor. So we get notification of abnormal heart rhythms typically within 24 hours to 24 to 48 hours of occurrence. That's in- so there are many ways in which you can monitor. That's no, incredible,
4: because other patients maybe that have a pacemaker that, that jumps in if they go below 60, they'll come to the office and you'll uh, check metrics like the life of the battery. And what other things would you check when somebody comes
3: for an office visit? So patients with pacemakers... Um- You don't need any monitoring usually because the pacemaker itself Mm -hmm. is a monitor. So we check three aspects to every pacemaker. The battery function, which is simple enough. It starts at the beginning of life. About a decade later, it comes to what is called as replacement voltage that is uh, similar to the gas light coming on in your car when you have about 50 miles left to drive. Uh, And the uh, elective replacement voltage is when we plan to replace the pacemaker, but you usually have four to six months of normal pacemaker function remaining. And then it becomes unreliable uh, and the battery is close to dying. We also check the wires that connect the pacemaker to the heart. A pacemaker can have one, two, or three wires, depending on what kind of pacemaker it is. And each wire is checked in certain ways. And then the pacemaker also provides a whole host of information about average... Minimum, maximum heart rates, abnormal heart rhythms. Every episode of abnormal heart rhythm is date and time stamped, so we know exactly when these rhythms were occurring. It also reports activity levels. Some pacemakers report respiration rates. Some report uh, congestion in the lungs in people who have weak hearts. So a lot of valuable clinical information is provided by the pacemaker, although its main function is to treat a slow heartbeat.
4: Mm -hmm. And you uh, alluded to the fact that sometimes there, there could be one, two, or three wires. So that explains that there are different types of pacemakers. Some stimulate one chamber of the heart, others might be two or
3: three. And you can program them to do different functions. Tell us about that a little, if you would. Correct, so you can program the pacemaker to try and minimize pacing, especially in the bottom chambers of the heart. So we pace the top chambers where their own pacemakers in the top chamber have become very slow, but let the electrical impulse from pacing conduct down through the normal pathways to the bottom chamber and don't use the bottom chamber wire. Let the patient's own heart conduct to the bottom chambers. So that's one way of programming the pacemaker. Um, we can program it the reverse way, where we uh, preempt or uh, beat out native conduction and pace the bottom chambers intentionally uh, to uh, prevent native conduction. There are different, uh, you know, medical indications for different types of programming.
4: And I, I'm fascinated too because um, we mentioned. Uh, I thought it might be helpful for our listeners if we could paint a picture of what a pacemaker looks like, how do you uh, insert, say, the battery or the the pacer part under the person's skin? How does that communicate with the heart? How do those wires get to the heart?
3: Correct. So all veins lead to the heart. And there is a vein under your collarbone called the subclavian vein. And uh, we basically, after sterile preparation of the skin, uh, we make a tiny incision that's approximately an inch or inch and a half long, and then access that vein and through the vein, just like you have an IV in your arm, we put an IV in that vein, and through that IV, we thread these thin spaghetti-like wires into the heart and we position them under x-ray guidance all through that tiny incision uh, into the heart. The back end of the wires are then securely anchored at the site of entry so they don't get pulled out. We make sure there's sufficient slack, anchor the wires, and then connect the wires to the battery pack or the pacemaker body itself. We make a little pocket under the fat of the skin. We tuck the pacemaker and the excess wires into that pocket, and we sew you up. The whole procedure can be done under local anesthesia, and it takes two, Typically, about an hour and a half to put in a regular pacemaker. It's incredible. And I, I think what, when I listened to your
4: Grand Rounds and you talked about the latest Star Wars creation is leadless pacemakers. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about are there complications or do any parts to the pacemaker or the, the wires, the leads, um, have any uh, breaks or, or issues? But how
3: can you pace somebody's heart without leads? So that is a completely disruptive and novel technology uh, <laughs> called a leadless pacemaker. It is inserted mm-hmm. not from the shoulder, but from a vein in your groin where your leg meets your abdomen or your belly. In that fold, there is a big vein called the femoral vein. That vein is as big as your thumb. And we put a sheath up through that vein, a long tube. And through that tube, we insert a pill or capsule-sized pacemaker directly into the bottom chamber of the heart on the right side. So this is a wonderful new technology but I have to point out it's not for everybody. It is a niche product because it paces only one chamber and it doesn't pace in the normal sequence. The normal top bottom sequence cannot be achieved. It paces only the bottom chamber on one side. So it's a perfect device for people who need Backup pacing infrequently. Most of the time, their heart is fine, but once in a while they have an abrupt pause in their heartbeat. That's the perfect patient for a leadless pacemaker. Uh, it may not be the ideal pacemaker for somebody who uses the pacemaker all the time. And believe it or not, I have about uh, two and a half to three dozen patients who are completely pacemaker dependent. They have no heartbeat of their own. Every heartbeat is driven by the pacemaker. Uh, and they, this is life extending technology. They live into their eighties and nineties, and without their pacemakers, they would probably not have been. There.
4: Wow, it's really incredible. And I know uh, I'm reassured to hear that complications are very rare with pacemakers or the wires.
3: Uh, how infrequent is it? correct so pacemakers are a very robust technology they've been around for more than 6 decades and they're very mature in their evolution really the pacemaker technology aside from the leadless pacemaker hasn't changed a whole lot in the last decade or two they're a very mature product the weak link of a pacemaker is the lead the leads are the ones that are the ones that are the weakest link and there mm-hmm. is a certain fracture rate that is associated with these leads typically they last for 15 to 20 years, if not longer. uh, And uh, at the end of 15 years, somewhere between two and 5% of leads may have a fracture or a problem. So even after 100,000 beats every day of your life, for 15 years, these pacemaker leads are still functioning normally in the majority of people. Uh, So it's really a testament to these uh, medical engineers that have come up with this remarkable uh, structure.
4: So I have a pacemaker inserted. Do I have any concerns like we did in the past when I get to the airport or I go through a metal detector or or if I'm near somebody's alarm system or even uh, an iPhone? Do any of those um,
3: issues affect your pacer? Mm Mm-hmm they're extremely rarely affected today's pacemakers are very well shielded Um, we can even do mris with powerful magnets uh, on patients with pacemakers Uh, many pacemakers today are officially deemed mri-compatible or mri-safe but uh, we can even do mris on legacy pacemakers from previous years that were not officially mri-compatible uh, airport security screening, iPhones, etc., rarely affect pacemakers. We recommend that patients with smartphones don't carry their smartphone in their breast pocket directly on mm-hmm. top of the pacemaker, carry it in a different pocket. But really, those kinds of interactions are exceedingly rare. And they're only uh, of any clinical importance in patients who are fully pacemaker dependent. That is, they have no heartbeat of their own. Any interference in such a patient could be more worrisome.
4: Disaster, sure. As a GI doctor, I routinely ask people about sleep apnea symptoms because it can lead to reflux and because it's part of a good exam. And I know you mentioned that uh, we know that sleep apnea can decrease your heart rate, cause bradycardia or slow heartbeat. But you don't routinely do sleep studies with, with slow heartbeats, right? It's only if they have the usual type of risk factors like obesity and chronic heart failure.
3: Yes and no. Uh, we certainly do sleep studies for people who have atrial fibrillation, that irregular rapid heartbeat that we talked about. Pacemakers are not meant for atrial fibrillation; they're meant for a slow heartbeat. But if we encounter AFib in a patient with a pacemaker, then we would get a sleep study as well. Sleep. Disturbed sleep has profound impacts on human physiology uh, and can cause a whole variety of uh, medical issues, including heart rhythm disturbances, but other risks uh, as well.
4: Well, I think too, patients should always tell a, a new doctor or a new nurse that doesn't know them that they're, it's pretty obvious when you open a person's shirt and listen to their heart, but that they have a pacer. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back for our wrap up with Dr. Bezad Pavri.
0: Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no copays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com/star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.
4: And in our last segment with Dr. Bezad Pavri from Jefferson, we're learning so much about pacemakers. I think there are two questions that we want to cover before we say goodbye, Bezad. One is, I'm sure many patients ask you, know, and a lot of doctors need an uh, update, the distinction between a pacemaker and a defibrillator.
3: That's an excellent question. So uh, a pacemaker's role is to simply prevent a slow heartbeat. If your heart rate decides to go fast on its own, the pacemaker simply steps back and lets your heart do what it wants to do. But sometimes fast heart rhythms can be very dangerous and life-threatening. Not all patients with pacemakers develop these kinds of fast heart rhythms, but if a patient is deemed to be at risk of developing a dangerous fast heart rhythm, while they may also have a slow heart rhythm problem, then they get a defibrillator. So a defibrillator is also a pacemaker it takes care of the slow heartbeat, but in addition, if you ever develop a dangerous, rapid, life-threatening, fast heart rhythm, the defibrillator can stop that kind of dangerous fast heart rhythm by giving a shock if necessary. It's like having your own emergency medical technician with you at all times, ready to shock your heart if you develop what is called as a cardiac arrest. A sudden death due to a dangerous heart rhythm can be aborted by the device, stopped by the device.
4: So a pacemaker sort of comes along and says, giddy up, get to at least a pulse of 60. But a defibrillator says, hold on, we have a whole team here ready to do CPR. We're going to shock you if you go into a rhythm that's life-threatening. So the other really fascinating um, information for people to hear, we were talking, you and I, earlier about carotid hypersensitivity. So the carotid arteries are the nice big highways that bring blood to our brain and and help us uh, breathe and, and think and all those good things that the brain tells us to do. Tell us about the cases you mentioned
3: with carotid hypersensitivity, if you would. Correct. So this is a very interesting but not common scenario and it is uh, unfortunately often missed. It typically afflicts older people. It is rare to see it before the age of 65 or 70, but it does become more common as we grow older. And it turns out that if you turn your head a certain way, if you twist the carotid arteries by head turning in a certain way, in some people that twisting motion can actually make your heartbeat pause, no heartbeat for a few seconds, and the patient can pass out quickly and abruptly with minimal or no warning. So the classic Mm. story that the textbooks describe is that an older gentleman tilts his head up to shave under his chin, and with the pressure of the razor and the tilting of the head, he gets very dizzy or faints. I had a patient who was driving, came to a stop sign, made sure there was no cross traffic by looking right and left, and promptly fainted at the wheel. He foot fell off the brake, he rolled into the intersection and was hit by an oncoming vehicle. I had a lady who was backing out of a driveway looking over her shoulder and passed out of the wheel and hit a tree. She had the tree cut down because she thought it was in her way, but it was actually carotid hypersensitivity. This is a condition that can only be treated by a pacemaker. It is not common, it is not uh, very frequently encountered, but it has to be looked for in an older person, especially if they describe dizziness or fainting with head turning. Of course.
4: And if people wanted to learn more or read more or even see images of a pacemaker and see how the wires are fed very easily to that subclavian vein or the vein under your collarbone, um, I think it would take a little bit of the fear out of it if a person realizes they have to have a pacemaker. And as you say, I love the word you used a little earlier, mature. This whole process has matured. we as physicians don't take any procedure for granted. We, I know, when I do colonoscopy or an extensive procedure, I I act like it's the first one I've ever done, and I I'm on my toes. But for the most part, a could be inserted very easily and safely, and as you say, very unlikely that they that they uh, misbehave or, or have issues. Where could a person? who's listening read more about the topic of pacemakers and what they should know for their own health?
3: That's a very important point. I think patients should do their due diligence and do their own research as much as possible. But you have to be careful about what you read and where you go. So you have to go to reputable websites, Mm -hmm. either with large uh, reputable institutions, uh, you know, uh, university hospitals. One of the best websites is the Heart Rhythm Society Uh, hrsonline.org, and there is a patient resources tab that will provide excellent information uh, about uh, devices, both pacemakers and defibrillators, and other patient information about atrial fibrillation, rhythm disturbances, etc. So that's a very reliable and uh, validated source of information for patients, hrsonline.org. Beautiful. So that's the Heart Rhythm
4: Society, and I think if people, uh, as you say, they go to the the tab for patient resources, it will be so helpful for people to visit that website. Any parting words for our listeners? Uh,
3: I would say to you that um, you know don't be concerned or afraid if your physician recommends that you would benefit from a pacemaker. You are certainly it is within your rights to do your own research and get a second opinion if you are not sure. Uh, But pacemakers are really, uh, they do improve quality of life in many patients. They are life-extending technology for many patients. And in the grand scheme of things, they are not a very dangerous or invasive procedure. So when appropriate, uh, a pacemaker is uh, a very useful medical intervention.
4: Because it can extend your life, and it can also improve the quality of your life. So thank you for everything we've learned, Dr. Bezad Pavri. It's February, it's heart month, so I have to send, end with a thank you and say I heart you.
3: Thank you so much. You too. <laughs> I really appreciate this opportunity. It was such a pleasure.
2: Now, your real champion, presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. I know you've got the heart of the
4: champion. And now for your real champion. I call this segment, but now I see Based on a parable from India, the famous American poet, John Godfrey Sachs, gave us The Blind Men and the Elephant in 1872. Six blind men had often heard of elephants, but had never been near one. Eager to learn about the animal, they began touching him, each man feeling a different part of the body. To one, the leg felt like a tree trunk, or the tusk like a spear, the tail like a rope, the trunk like a snake, Each man with a different perspective. Each one convinced he was correct, but none had a grasp of the entire truth. Like the men in the parable, Dr. Joe Rinaldi is losing his sight. Unlike them, he has a beautiful perspective about the big picture of life with remarkable wisdom beyond his 27 years. At the age of 10, Joe woke up one morning and had no vision in his right eye. The diagnosis? Best disease a rare condition of the retina that causes a gradual loss of vision. From age 10 through 18, Joe had episodes as often as every two to four months, each event with acute loss of vision due to blood leaking from abnormal new blood vessels. Treatment with laser or injection of medication could stop bleeding, but may not stop further damage to the retina. Each time, Joe's vision would drop to a lower plateau. Growing up, Joe loved baseball, watching with dad or playing for his team, but he had to give it up at age 15. His parents gently reminded him to sit at the front of the classroom, request large print books and extra time for tests. But think about it, middle school, high school, he wanted to be normal at all costs. But with time, Joe faced and embraced the challenge. It was during high school he came to realize that, one, life's not fair, but it could always be worse. And two, hardship is not necessarily a bad thing. Someone else out there has it worse than I do. My role is to help them. And with that, Joe began raising money for families of firefighters lost in the line of duty. On to Bucknell for college, where he was chair of philanthropy for his fraternity. He was also a walk-on for football. Impressive. But a well-executed tackle cost him another loss in vision. If he couldn't play a sport, he'd pursue physical therapy studies at Rutgers and then graduated with a glowing record. For Joe, physical therapy combines his passion for exercise with his desire to help people. Why is movement so important? Joe explains that from the second we're born until our last moment, we move for freedom. If unable to move, we lose freedom. And when we stop moving, we stop living. Two weeks prior to starting his doctor program, another episode caused him to pause. Well, he had two choices, to be limited by the cautionary notion What if something happens? Or be encouraged to live by the mantra, even if something happens. I'll figure it out. So while studying at Drexel University, he met the woman who completes him. His wife, Michaela, also has a doctorate in physical therapy. And as he spent more time with her, he came to realize that life is bigger than just me. Joe shares, I feel the responsibility to be the best version of myself, no more feeling sorry or making excuses. How I deal with adversity also affects my wife and all the people who have invested in me through my lifetime. Pushing and pulling against adversity helps me become the best version of myself. Joe runs and exercises every day. And just as lifting weights against resistance strengthens muscles, Joe faces adversity with resistance to strengthen his character. He states, everything I do today is going to impact people closest to me today, tomorrow, every day, every day thing I do is intentional. Joe loves people and wants to help patients whose pain, injury or limitation keeps them from being who they want to be. He wants to walk hand in hand with people through their struggles. Dr. Joe Rinaldi, his positive attitude is contagious. He doesn't let titles, doctor, writer, or speaker define him. Quote, I'm Joe Rinaldi, the human being and child of God. I was put on this earth to make a difference in the lives of others and I want to improve the life of every single person who crosses my path and be the light in someone's darkness. I know that everyone struggles with something, and I believe that everything happens for a reason. I'm grateful to be going blind. What I've lost in sight, I've gained in vision. We salute you, Dr. Joe Rinaldi, your real champion. Visit Joe's website, joerinaldi.blog. Joe, R-I-N-A-L-D-I.blog. Thank you for joining us here on Your Radio Doctor, the only all-medical talk radio show in the greater Philadelphia region. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and the support of Recovery Centers of America and the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. Remember, you can listen on WPHT Talk Radio 1210 or from any device using the app, odyssey.com. Listen to all our shows again on yourradiodoctor.net, send me a message. Tell me what medical topic you'd like to hear about, the story of a champion, or join us as a sponsor. Messages should go to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Great time to advertise on WPHT with the vast amount of news stories and conversation. Well, I hope you didn't fall for any jokes yesterday on April Fool's Day. Don't be a fool. Listen to Your Radio Doctor, especially your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy and safe week and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show, as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no copays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com/star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.